Previously on Behind the Business, we looked at how an Italian blacksmith took the automotive world by storm. Like many great innovators, Enzo Ferrari was a demanding, proud and spirited man. It is precisely this incendiary mix of personality traits that eventually, and rather amusingly, led to the creation of Ferrari's greatest rival and the topic of this week's Behind the Business video, Lamborghini. As with Enzo Ferrari, the story of Lamborghini once again takes us to the northern Italian province of Emilia-Romagna, in the quiet township of Renazzo di Cento. It is there that poor grape farmers Antonio and Evelina Lamborghini raised their son Ferruccio among the family's vineyards. Young Ferruccio was born a Taurus, although you'll see why that's important a little bit later. More importantly, he was born in 1916, smack dab in the middle of the First World War. Despite this, Ferruccio grew up to be hopeful and ambitious, but like most poor Italians during the early 20th century, he was faced with one crucial dilemma. He could either stick with traditional employment as a farmer, or he could try to stay ahead of the curve and risk taking up factory and industrial work. For Ferruccio, however, the choice was clear. He was obsessed with machines and could hardly be kept away from his father's garage. This eventually led him to study mechanics, and in 1935 he felt confident enough to start his own workshop. Five years later, however, Ferruccio found himself torn from his civilian life thanks to the Second World War. He was drafted by the Royal Italian Air Force in 1940, and was assigned as a mechanic to the garrison at the Greek island of Rhodes. In the course of his duties, Ferruccio gained valuable experience with scrapping and repurposing old machinery. In 1943, however, after Italy surrendered, a German formation forcibly took over the garrison and evicted their former allies. Ferruccio could have left, but he decided to stay on as a civilian and with the permission of the Germans he started operating his own workshop. As much as the Germans loved Lamborghini's technical aptitude, 1945 came around and with it arrived the Allied forces. They took everyone in the garrison prisoner, but after they saw what Ferruccio could do, they got him to work fixing their vehicles for a year until they finally sent him home in 1946. Upon coming back to Italy, Ferruccio opened another short-lived workshop, but soon after he was struck by a brilliant idea. His experience with both Allied and Axis vehicles gave him a powerful edge above most other mechanics. He knew that post-war Italy would need to increase its agricultural production to mend the wounds of war, and where better to get the machinery to do so than from the vast stockpiles of military equipment Mussolini's government had commissioned. Ferruccio's ambitious plan was set in motion near the end of 1947 when he founded his first company. With just three other mechanics and 2,000 lira in initial capital, Ferruccio took the large-scale production of affordable tractors into his own hands. His main supplier was ARAR, the government-owned company responsible for selling all the excess military equipment left after the war. By taking an old British Morris engine and modifying it to run on cheap diesel instead of expensive petrol, Ferruccio created a groundbreakingly affordable tractor that he could sell all across Italy. This was to be the first of his Carioca tractors, unveiled on February 3, 1948, and Italy went nuts over them. The design was so successful that Ferruccio started a second company, Lamborghini Trattori. He hired four new workers, bought a factory in Cento and borrowed 10 million lira backed by his family's grape farm in order to buy hundreds of Morris, Perkins and Dodge engines from ARAR. He also decided to enter a prestigious endurance race called the Mille Miglia. He drove his overhauled Fiat Tupolino, but he crashed into the side of a restaurant and gave up racing for the rest of his life. Despite this, his company was doing great, and by 1950, Trattori had a workforce of 30 people and could produce upwards of 200 tractors per year. 
Demand was growing rapidly and so in 1951 Ferrucci acquired a thousand square meters of land upon which he built a new factory. 1951 also saw the introduction of the L33 tractor, whose popularity would greatly benefit from the government subsidies to farmers who use domestically built machinery. After signing a deal with Motorenwerken Mannheim for their diesel engines, Lamborghini could now produce tractors entirely on their own. Ferruccio's new factory produced its first tractor in 1956, and by that point he had streamlined his engine design around three tiers of horsepower. Ferruccio also traveled across the Atlantic to buy heating and air conditioning technologies from the US. By the early 1960s, Lamborghini's tractor factory had 400 employees churning out as many as 30 tractors a day. Some of their greatest developments during the time were a series of air-cooled tractor engines and even a helicopter concept, though the government never approved it. In 1961, Ferruccio unveiled a separate oil heater factory, and by that point he was so rich that he decided to indulge in his love of sports cars. Being a learned mechanic himself, Ferruccio was very critical of the cars he bought. Among them were two Alfa Romeos, two Maseratis, a Jaguar E-Type, a Mercedes-Benz, and of course several Ferraris. The Ferraris especially appealed to Ferruccio, but he found them to be needlessly noisy and thought they had a bare-bones interior. He was particularly exasperated by the peculiar tendency of the Ferraris to constantly have their clutch breakdown. After finally getting sick of all the repair bills, Ferruccio took the problematic car straight to Modena, where he personally confronted Enzo Ferrari about the clutches. According to Ferruccio, Enzo basically brushed him off and told him to stick to driving tractors. That's not terribly surprising coming from the man who fired most of his senior staff when they complained about his wife, but Ferruccio saw it as a challenge. He was well aware of the profits to be had in the Gran Turismo industry and so in 1963 the tractor tycoon established an automobile factory near Santa Gata. Thus, out of the primordial desire to show Enzo the middle finger, Ferruccio created Automobili Lamborghini. For the brand's emblem he chose a bull. After all, it was his own astrological sign and he also had a deep fascination for bullfighting. This rather fearsome creature proved to be a suitable representation of Lamborghini's company as it charged through milestones year after year. The first working Lamborghini, the GT350, was created in 1964 with the help of young engineer Paolo Stanzani. It incorporated some extremely impressive technology, including a V12 engine, 5-speed transmission, 4-wheel disc brakes and 4-wheel independent suspension. Creating the GT350 was not easy, and its prototype suffered from some serious design flaws that were made very apparent during its rushed entry into the 1963 auto show in Turin. The most notable issue was the fact that the engine itself would not even fit within the car's body panels. Ferruccio's solution was to fill the compartment with bricks and to keep the lid closed at all times. After all, the show was about looking at cars, not driving them. In the end, the GT350 was a technical masterpiece and it garnered praise from critics and customers alike. 1966 brought the 400 GT and the Miura P400. The Miura was especially notable for establishing the rear mid-engine layout as the standard for all high-performance cars of the era, a standard that is still in use today. It was originally developed as a street racing vehicle by a team of bold engineers headed by Marcello Gandini. They kept the project secret from Ferruccio since he was against building race cars due to his own racing incident in 1948. When Ferruccio learned of the new design, he was charmed enough not to scrap it, but he doubled down on his no racing policy. 1968 saw the Espada establish itself as one of Lamborghini's greatest classics, along with the Islero 400 GT. 
The company continued its successful streak, debuting celebrated models like the Kumtak LP500, the Uraco P250 and the Rama 400 GTS. The 1970s, however, would be troubled times for Lamborghini. In 1973, two years after the abolishment of the Bretton Woods system, the global stock market experienced a dramatic crash, with the Dow erasing nearly half of its value. At the same time, OAPEC started an oil embargo, which greatly raised the price of fuel and plunged the automotive world into its own crisis. As if all of that wasn't enough, Lamborghini Trattoria was also hurt when a deal to supply Bolivia with 5,000 tractors was cancelled after the 1971 coup by Hugo Banzer. Ferruccio did his best to keep his various enterprises alive. He eventually managed to find buyers for the unsold tractors and he also relocated his oil heater factory to Doso in Nigeria. In the end though, he was forced to sell shares of Lamborghini to outside investors in order to save his business from bankruptcy. The crisis broke Ferruccio and although he managed to save Lamborghini, he retired in the face of the widespread strikes and unionization that had spread across Italy. In 1973, he sold the Trattori business to another Italian tractor manufacturer. A year later, he sold his remaining 49% stake in Automobili Lamborghini to a Swiss businessman, René Leimer. A friend of René had previously bought the remaining 51% and together they hoped to revive the brand. Despite their attempts, they failed and eventually Automobili Lamborghini was forced into liquidation. In 1980, the Italian government sold Lamborghini for $3 million to the Mimran brothers, two French entrepreneurs who held huge sugarcane plantations and flour mills in Africa. The brothers ambitiously wanted to renovate all Lamborghini facilities and to assemble a new team of engineers, but they quickly ran over budget that ended up selling the company. In 1987, Lamborghini went into the hands of Chrysler, who wanted to import the luxury car brand into the United States. Less than five years later, however, Lamborghini still hadn't turned a profit and so Chrysler sold it to an Indonesian conglomerate. The Indonesians actually managed to restore the brand somewhat and in 1996 Lamborghini made a modest profit of $120,000. As luck would have it, in 1998 a financial crisis struck Asia and Lamborghini got sold again. This time the buyer was Ferdinand Piech of Volkswagen, who had also purchased Bentley and Bugatti the same year. Under the paternal care of Volkswagen, Lamborghini found its structure heavily streamlined. This allowed it to finally start taking back its place in the luxury sports car market. To meet the challenges of the 21st century, Lamborghini has been aggressively marketing its brand name, while at the same time investing heavily into material research and development. They have diversified their cars to appeal to a wider range of budgets, though even their lowest prices are still prohibitively expensive to the average Joe. The pinnacle of success for the modern Lamborghini is undoubtedly the Gallardo, which has over the course of its 10-year production run sold slightly over 14,000 units, thus becoming Lamborghini's most popular design ever. 2015 marked the best year in the company's history as their sales jumped from just over 2,500 cars to over 3,000. They are already manufacturing other heavy hitters, such as the Urus SUV concept or the Huracan, successor of the Gallardo. So far, it appears that Lamborghini's game of corporate hot potato has finally come to an end, at least for the time being. It's safe to say though that if Ferruccio could see his company now, he would be pleased to learn that Lamborghini is once again playing the red flag to Ferrari's bull. This video was supported by viewers like you on Patreon, and for a donation of just $5 you'll be able to vote on which company we cover next. We also encourage you to visit our subreddit. 
If you found a mistake in the video and you want to rub it in our face, or if you just like to have a chat with us, that's the place to do it. Of course, you're also free to follow us on other social media. We've got a Facebook page you can like and a Twitter profile you can follow. If you haven't watched it, I can highly recommend checking out our previous video about the history of Netflix, from their origin as a DVD mailing service to their emergence as the world's movie streaming platform of choice. We've also got a playlist with the full Behind the Business series in case you'd like to see some of our older videos. Thanks a lot for watching, and as always, stay smart!